Hello and welcome back to the fourth episode of the 1823 podcast mini-series, The Mental Edge, Performance Psychology at the Euros. I'm Dr Francesca Champ. And I'm Dr Gillian Cook. We're both sport and performance psychologists at Liverpool John Moores University. Okay, so I think I've only just about recovered from the last couple of days of... I think really exciting, surprising, um, thrilling football. And you probably stand with me and so does everybody listening to this when we say the, the game so far, exactly why we love this game and exactly why we probably call it the most beautiful game and the most beautiful sport. So what we've seen has been quite different, really, to in the group stages, in that in the group stages, um, a number of the games were won by the favourites, and that resulted in a number of the favourites finishing top of the group. So, for example, Italy and France. However, when it's come to the knockout stages, things have shifted quite significantly. And what we've seen is that those teams who were the favourite have actually gone out unexpectedly in the first round. So, for example, we had um, Croatia, who were the World Cup finalists, beat Spain 5-3 in extra time um, yesterday afternoon. That was then followed by France going out to Switzerland after a 3-3 draw on penalties. And penalties is something that we'll certainly refer back to and delve into more as we progress through this podcast. I certainly don't think we could do any kind of preview on an England-Germany knockout game without reverting to or considering penalties. So let's delve a little bit more into our reflections on what's happened so far and perhaps some of the reasons why. And I think pundits, journalists, um, those those within the game, irrespective of what role they occupy, they're all talking about this knockout um, stage, the first round of the knockout and why the favourites are underperforming or underachieving. And Roy Keane put it really nicely last night when he said, "Okay, we can review the technical elements. We can review the tactical elements of the game. We might explore physiological aspects. But what I feel like we're really doing right now as a group of pundits is trying to be experts in psychology and trying to unpick the psychological impact of being in the Euros and playing the first stage of the knockout. And I guess for us um, sitting together, that's probably something that we want to provide a little bit more of an insight on. We try and unpick the reasons why things have unraveled in such an unexpected way. And for me, um, perhaps the first thing that I'd like to refer to is the level of fatigue that these players must be experiencing and the level of fatigue that these players must be under. So, for example, I think what we've seen is that Wales have travelled a substantial distance during the group stages into their first knockout game, and they faced Denmark, who are on a real emotional roller coaster after what happened with Christian Eriksen in the group stages. More specifically, Denmark won the last game of their group stages 4-0, and they happened to replicate that for the first time ever a team has got consecutive 4-0 wins in a Euros or international tournament. After the game, Wales attributed it, so Chris Gunter, who was one of their players in his post-match interview, he attributed it to fatigue. And when we look at fatigue, I think that's a psychological and a physiological construct. And the psychological aspect of fatigue for me is around decision-making. The fact that it might cloud our ability to focus our attentions might make us make slower decisions. And when we do make those decisions, they might be worse or they might be less effective. And that, again, relates to... The concept of 
the number of goals that have been conceded in the tournament so far. So I've just touched upon the Denmark game where they scored four goals in two two consecutive games. We've got France conceded three last night, Spain conceded three, Croatia conceded five. There's so many goals being conceded, but what's really interesting is that there's been nine own goals so far in this tournament. And that is the same as every other tournament, every other Euros tournament between 1960 and 2016 combined. So we've had nine own goals so far in this tournament and nine across that huge time span of every other tournament. And there has to be a reason, there has to be an explanation. And I think my explanation for that is the fatigue element. So before I hand over to Jill, there's just one more aspect um, of fatigue that I'd like to discuss, and that's the impact of traveling all of those miles on the ability for a team to prepare, to prepare for the first knockout game. And what we saw with Wales is that they've traveled um, across countries um, pretty much across the whole of Europe, nearly 5,000 miles. In fact, I think in excess of 5,000 miles, over 10 times more than the Danish team in preparation and in in the build-up to that game. And for me, as a, a sport and performance psychologist, when working with athletes in a major tournament, we would be looking at an element of stability, giving them some stability in what's otherwise a really chaotic environment and what can be a very unstable and unpredictable time period. And I think then, having that um, disruption to their preparation having to move almost home several times in the build-up for the game will have really impacted them psychologically physically and probably further contributed to that fatigue and perhaps even burnout and when we talk about burnout I'm talking about that extreme physical psychological and emotional exhaustion that players and staff may experience after being exposed to continual stress and pressure and I think that's just one of the reasons but there's several reasons that things haven't unraveled the way that we expected. I think it's a, a really nice point that you bring up there about fatigue and the impact in that that can have on the psychological side of performance. In psychology, uh, there's something that we call ego depletion. And what that is, is when someone is fatigued and either physically or mentally, and it then has a quite outsized influence on decision-making and on emotional control, which uh, it's interesting in in this Euros, particularly in some of the knockout stages, the amount of red cards Mm -hmm. that we have had. uh, And when you think... The, the match that uh, the Netherlands were playing against the Czech Republic I think it was within about 30 seconds the uh, Netherlands team were, were up the park, it was a one-on-one uh, obviously didn't go in and within about 30 seconds uh, the Czech Republic went up the, the pitch and then there was the handball and he was sent off and then the Czech Republic obviously went on to win 2-0 but that decision making you've got, uh, football is I suppose sport in general, but football is an enormously emotional uh, (laughs) game. You can go from within a one minute period, you can go from frustration of, oh, I I wish we'd uh, scored that goal. You might also have guilt. Gosh, I I wish we'd we'd scored that. To then you can have excitement if you do score. So within uh, a one minute period, you can go through three different emotions, which is not typical of of what um, can happen outside of, of sport. 
And certainly with emotions and all the emotions that, that we can have, it's really important that players are able to regulate their emotions to ensure that their emotions are not hindering performance, but helping performance. And by emotional regulation, I just mean being able to manage and maintain optimal emotional performance. So when you've got a bit of anxiety, when you've got a bit of adrenaline, you use that to help you, to spur you on, you you reframe it as this is good energy. You know, this means that I'm ready to, to perform as opposed to thinking oh gosh I'm nervous things are, are going to go badly and a couple of strategies that the players might be be using at the, the tournament to help with uh, emotion regulation is something called attentional deployment so that's where you're ensuring that you're focusing on what matters when it matters so you're not focusing on the crowd or any of the distractions that, that might be going on you're focusing on what matters and another one is cognitive change so uh, cognitive change is just when you're reframing or reappraising or that just means rethinking about a situation so you're uh, sort of re um thinking this is a challenge, this is a great opportunity to rise to as opposed to, gosh, this is a, a threat and mm -hmm. changing what, what you say to yourself and your self-talk to ensure that you're in a, a better state. And one of the, the other really uh, big things in psychology around emotional control is mindfulness. So that's uh, when you're noticing what's happening, when it's happening without preference. So you're not living in the past and thinking, gosh, why did we miss that opportunity? You're not thinking in the future, what happens if we go out or equally what happens if we go through and then win the fight, you know, win the, the Euros, your complete focus and uh, attention is in in the moment, in mm -hmm. the present. And that's when we can get these really great performances coming through. And talking about being in the present, that I think brings us quite nicely to chatting about the England-Germany game, which is uh, coming up uh, later on this afternoon. And I think that's something that we're all super excited for. Not long to go until kickoff now. And the England-Germany game is momentous, really, for England players, for the England staff and for the England fans, and no more than Gareth Southgate himself. So a little bit of historical context. Gareth Southgate played at Wembley in the Euros in 1996 against Germany in the semi-finals, and unfortunately it was him who missed the penalty, which meant that England weren't successful in progressing through to the final. And it was the 1996 Euros that England won their first and only ever knockout game in a European tournament, which means that England are entering this game really with a huge amount of pressure placed upon them to say, this is your history, this is your legacy, um, and how do we look what impact has Gareth Southgate had? How has he shifted um, the, char the character, the qualities of the squad? And how has he prepared them almost for a rematch of what happened 25 years ago? And it's quite astounding, really, that it's at the same stadium, Gareth Southgate's in charge, and it is against the Germans. And another interesting angle, really, for me would be how the Germans are approaching this tournament in that this is Joachim Lowe's final tournament in charge of Germany. He's been in charge for a number of years now with a number of successes. And they're almost undergoing a period of growth, undergoing a period of rebuild, and are entering it based on um, probably inconsistent performances prior to the tournament. But in typical German fashion, they entered the tournament, had a really difficult group stage, but they were successful in progressing through. Now, I think there's a number of different factors that we need to consider when looking ahead to the game. Probably the most important of that for all of us and the thing that you'll be most interested in is penalties. I think it's uh, difficult to talk about an England-Germany 
the game without mentioning penalties. Uh, so as you say, it's, it's interesting to touch upon Gareth Southgate because in an interview yesterday, he said that, uh, yes, there are stereotypes of, of England and, and how they tend to perform in penalty shootouts. However, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the penalty that he missed at Wembley in 96. As he was saying, most of the team weren't even born when that happened. So we shouldn't allow these stereotypes to, to carry on. So just mentioning stereotypes there, that for me is one of the, the biggest elements or biggest factors that really influence England and you know, teams playing England in penalty shootouts. So you've got something that's called stereotype threat. So that is when you are you are in a group that has a negative uh, perception or negative stereotype about it. And if you're an individual within that group, you then get anxious uh, about potentially confirming that negative belief about that group. So if you look at England, uh, they have only won two out of eight uh, penalty shootouts in both World Cup and Euros competitions. And there you continuously hear fans groaning about (laughs) penalty shootouts, uh, continual questions from the media to the players about a penalty shootout. So that stereotype threat is very much there. And the reason that stereotype threat has an influence on performance is because so some research that I've been involved in, uh, just to, to give an example of, of how stereotype threat works, is there is a stereotype that women are better than men at multitasking, and there is a stereotype that uh, men are better than women at maths. So in the experiment, I sat three different groups down at different points, and it was the exact same maths test that I gave to every uh, group every individual that sat down in one condition you say to to both men and women that this test has shown differences in math skills women tend to perform worse in that men perform better whereas in the exact same test if you say to all you're doing is changing the instruction at the start and saying that uh, this test has shown gender differences this is a test of multitasking men perform worse on that they said the exact same test that they perform better at when they thought it was a math test and <laughs> women perform better and the reason for that is it's about the brain's bandwidth. So your working memory capacity, when you're really worried and anxious about potentially confirming this negative stereotype, you don't have enough bandwidth to, to make decisions and problem solve. So that's in a, a more sort of academic setting, whereas in a, f- a football and a sports setting where a lot of work on stereotype threat has been done, we have found the exact same effect. And there's been a paper that has just been published uh, looking at penalty taking uh, with some international uh, footballers and the idea of stereotype threat. And what they were suggesting is the reason that stereotype threat makes a difference in, in penalty taking is that in football or, or in any sport, these skills are utterly automatic and when you start to think and start to engage the the brain you're starting to put a conscious control on something that you should just be doing automatically so it's a little bit different to to the other example and so by then thinking about what you need to do, you then, uh, something that you should be doing automatically doesn't quite work out. And there's a number of different strategies that England uh, might use to to overcome this stereotype threat and, and this performance decrement that, that they might get because of this uh, perception around them. So one of them uh, being, and it's come across in the research quite a lot, is to refute 
that stereotype. Think about uh, so for the players, the Harry Kane always knocks in penalties for Tottenham as an <laughs> example, and when they play for their clubs, they are very very good players and usually very very good at taking penalty kicks. So one thing that that Gareth Southgate might be doing with the team around penalties is really refuting that and really enhancing the players' self belief and seeing it's a challenge. Think how great what, what national heroes we will be if we beat the Germans on penalties. But obviously I've spoken about the, the players there there's also the goalkeeping angle which uh, you might want to talk about yeah so I think there's we could spend hours and hours discussing the element of penalties and what I find really fascinating is when we get to the penalty angle psychologists pundits journalists we all delve into the players so it was why is Mbappe missed the penalty as opposed to actually why is the Swiss goalkeeper saved the penalty what contributed to that narrative what contributed to him making the save and there's been quite a lot of research really around goalkeepers um, and how they behave in the moments prior to a penalty being taken when the penalty is taken and after a penalty being taken some of it's really surprising but some of it is what we would expect and so for example one of the most surprising things is actually a goalkeeper is much more likely to save a penalty if they remain still on the spot on their line whilst waiting for the opposition player to take the penalty and the reason for that is because it allows them to focus on the ball and it takes away any distraction but actually for goalkeepers why they engage in that behavior is something called action bias so they're engaging in the behavior of moving up and down the line or moving up and down in with the aim of distracting the opposition with the aim of intimidating the opposition and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't necessarily work but there was also a really nice um piece done on peter schmeichel um so he spoke a little bit about a penalty take and he said What happens when um, there's a penalty, particularly in a penalty shootout, is that the player decides everything. So the striker will decide where they place the ball. They decide the length of the run-up. They decide when to take the penalty. They decide how hard to hit the ball. And they decide where to hit the ball. So for a goalkeeper, there's very little control. Actually, the person taking the penalty is in control of most things. So he said, as a goalkeeper, what I then choose to do is I will maintain or regain some element of control by deciding exactly where I'm going to dive and when I'm going to dive before the player even steps up. So I've done my research, I've watched all the video clips, I know where this player normally puts the ball and if they change their mind I won't be successful but what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick to my guns because he then said a really nice quote that a lack of control or no control results in chaos chaos and uncertainty result in making poor decisions they result in being less effective so for him that's his way of saying I'm here I'm present and I'm going to do my bit or I'm in control of a certain element of this and I think there's lots of research that's been done around penalties with regards to how players behave and how goalkeepers behave in the moments before a penalty So, for example, there was a really nice piece of research that was done that looked at before a penalty, when we place the ball down on the spot, the time that's taken between the ball being placed on the spot and actually the penalty taker kicking the ball. And research shows that England are the fastest team to put the ball down on the spot and then subsequently take the penalty. So the time taken between putting the ball on the spot and kicking the penalty is the smallest for England, whereas research shows actually that we're much more effective if there's a couple of seconds between placing the ball on the spot, composing yourself, and then taking the penalty. And that was evidenced by a quote from Stephen Gerrard, who said when he puts 
the ball down on the spot. The thing that he finds really, really difficult is waiting for the referee to blow the whistle. And he mentioned putting the ball down on the spot. You're in the right frame of mind. You're ready to go. In those just second or two, when you wait for the referee to blow the whistle, actually, he's now doubting himself. He's questioning where he's going to place the ball and he's questioning his potential effectiveness. And he mentioned that it would often throw him on track and it throw him off track and he would perform less effectively. And I guess similarly with just one more point would be that when players place the ball down on the spot, research has shown that those players who turn the back to the goalkeeper are actually portraying anxiety to the goalkeeper. So they're giving the goalkeeper a subtle sign um, that they actually feel a little bit cautious they feel a little bit threatened. So when you talk about challenge and threat, they have a little bit of a threat mentality about the penalty. And the final one is that the gaze. So research has shown that when a player fixates on the goalkeeper, that again is associated with increased anxiety and an increased likelihood of missing the penalty. So as, a, as sports psychologists or as practitioners that would work with penalty takers, I think there's a number of things that we can be doing and perhaps... What we see in a range of other sports is is when um, athletes and performers engage in something called visualization. Visualization, put really simply, is something that every single one of us do on a daily basis, and that's just imagining things. So it's a visual representation of something that we might want to happen. For example, for a penalty taker, what they may do in their head is rehearse visually where they're going to put the penalty, or they may revert back to a past successful experience. So they might visualize successfully taking a penalty at club level. Or for the England players, maybe even in the World Cup in the last tournament when they were had a successful penalty shootout, you revert back to that, you take yourself back, you try and create uh, as clear and as coherent representation as you possibly can of scoring that penalty with the aim of reducing your nerves and increasing your confidence. But there's so many techniques that we could use. And Jill, I'm sure you employ this as well when working with athletes and performers. So typically when uh, I'll be working with footballers and we'll be uh, working on penalties, again, people used to think about penalties as it's luck. You either win it or you use it, it's completely luck. But that is, as you were saying there, that's not true. These are very rehearsed very planned uh, activities. Alan Shearer very famously uh, used to, after every training session, would be taking a penalty. And I think he used to say to the goalkeeper, I'm going to hit it into the bottom left. And every time he would just hit to the bottom left, hit to the bottom left. And so he was rehearsing that. So uh, which then the the more you're rehearsing that, the higher your confidence. But typically a strategy that I'll employ when I'm I'm working with people around penalties is really taking a mindful approach because it's natural when Uh, it's you against someone else you've got lots of fans booing Uh, you know that or maybe cheering uh, (laughs) but you you can feel the nervous tension you also know that you've got tv cameras on you in the the case of england and and germany you know that uh, the nation is is watching and the nation cares about uh, what's going on it's very easy to get caught up in all these different thoughts as I said earlier on, mindfulness is having your focus and attention on the present. And it's accepting that, yes, I am having a thought coming in about what happens if I miss. But instead of you know, trying to change it and, and wrestle with it and trying to push it away, usually the more we try to push thoughts away, the more they keep coming in. So instead, you would just think, well, that's an interesting thought that I'm having. That's interesting. And then refocus, recenter on yourself again to try and get into the zone, because that's really what mindfulness is. It's about helping players get into the zone quicker and more effectively. And so it's for them to be really 
And so, so you're not pushing out distractions, you're accepting that, that different thoughts come in, refocus on, on centering on yourself in the present moment, and then do what you do after most training sessions. It's a, an automatic thing for, for these players. But if it does go to a penalty shootout, it'll be a really interesting as psychologist to be watching it. But I think that's not the, the only element that really is coming in at the minute with the, the build-up to the England-Germany uh, game. It's the, it's the Ben Chilwell and... Um, Mason Mount have both had to isolate because Billy Gilmore tested a positive for COVID. Uh, They uh, both hugged him after the match and so they were uh, told that they had to isolate. And I think that will have quite an influence and certainly Gareth Southgate has spoken about the influence that that may have had on those players. Yeah, and I think... When we look at things in sport in terms or from a psychological perspective, we talk about these events um, and we frame them as something called a critical moment. And a critical moment is something that's unexpected. It's involuntary. It's not anticipated. We can't prepare for it, but it has a huge impact on us, on our sense of self and on our anxiety. And I think when we're talking about and when we're referring to anxiety, we don't mean cognitive or behavioral descriptions of anxiety. This is existential anxiety. And existential anxiety is actually related to broader questions around purpose and around meaning. And I think what will have been at the forefront of Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount's mind over the last week or so is what does this mean for me? Where does this leave me for the remainder of the tournament? And actually what next? And they're probably questions that none of us have known the answers to because it's an event that none of us have had to deal with before. But that certainly will have shaped and had an impact on social interactions, on the identity of the team, on the group dynamics, on how Gareth Southgate will have had to lead the group, but also lead those two individuals as separate. And the psychological well-being and, I guess, performance readiness of Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount themselves. It's certainly a a lot of uh, different factors will be playing into that. There may be a huge sense of frustration because of a perceived sense of unfairness Uh, they both had to isolate but I believe no one from the Scotland team had to isolate Mm -hmm. so there might be a lot of frustration there Uh, loneliness can can also really come in and and you touched upon the the sense of well-being so in as as a sports psychologist you can spend uh, quite a lot of time working with injured players because they're out of a a group so out of training and away from what they usually do We're, we're footballers we've got an identity of about playing football we love playing football love going to training suddenly they're not able to do that so it's almost a little bit like that in that you're out of a group you're frustrated you're not able to do what you usually want to do but it's also different because they are able to train with each other but just with each other so suddenly they're out of this group that they probably really enjoy being in they'll have a role within that group so one of them might be the joker within the group (laughs) and suddenly they're they're out of that they've lost their role and you mentioned about a sense of purpose so for for those two players it will have been a lot of reframing I think you know really thinking about okay so we we cannot train with the team at the minute so things aren't you know you accept that that that's what's happening but what can I control moving forward so I think what what those two players will really have focused on is around that okay so we're we're not doing exactly what we want to do but how can we channel our energies and make a, a positive or the best 
out of this that we can. So maybe working on some other elements of their performance, the psychological side, the uh, the technical side, to ensure that, that they're able to play at their best when they come back. Absolutely. And I think what we've drawn upon in all of the podcasts so far is meaning. Uh, we talk about that sense of purpose. We talk about making meaning from experiences. And I think that's probably what Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount have spent time reflecting on and trying to make sense of their experiences. So I think... We've provided you with a ton of information around a range of different topics. For both of us, I think we know that tonight is too close to call. Um, Neither of us want to call it either way, but we hope that it's a fascinating encounter, which if going by the past games, I'm sure that it will be. We hope that you really enjoy the game and we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Thank Thank you for listening. Thank you very much.